welcome to the DMF. I am your host, Justin Yance, and this is episode 38. I'm going to talk about Thanksgiving. I'm going to talk about David Prowse. We'll talk a little bit about books I read, movies, Mandalorian episode 5, chapter 13, and I'm going to run through this cabinet. So, stay tuned. Okay, so Thanksgiving we just had. I hope everyone had a lovely Thanksgiving. I know I did. It was nice to be see family. We did social distance and I wore my mask like the whole time it felt like. I only took my mask off when we ate and we were all spaced apart so and we were some of us were kind of outdoors so it was good there was like maybe 10 of us so I thought it was good I thought we we made sure that we um, we followed the rules and um, had some great conversations from with some people that um, I've never met before. Um, one of my cousins brought some friends over. So I, I had a great time. I was there with my family, um, my mother and my father. So it was, it was nice. Um, yeah. We had um, two turkeys. That was good. And uh, we stayed at a nice hotel. So I was, um, I'm very happy with um, how Thanksgiving went. Now, we do have some sad news to report. Now, as most of you know already by now, David Prowse, who was the um, person who was in the suit for Darth Vader, has died. Now, what we just found out about a day ago was that it was from COVID. So unfortunately, COVID has taken Darth Vader. And I've always liked David Prowse. I have um, uh, A Clockwork Orange is one of my favorite films, and he plays the bodyguard in there. And I believe he was a bodybuilder, so he had that presence that Darth Vader needed to be intimidating and menacing. Unfortunately for him as an actor, he didn't get to voice any of the... He voiced the lines, but all his lines were dubbed over. And as an actor, that must... That that would sting. But he... It seemed like he was very well-loved. Um, Mark Hamill talked about him. Um, Billy D. Williams. So... So it, it's... The, he He may not be with us anymore, but... He was loved by the Star Wars community, even though it, even though he kind of grew to resent Darth Vader at times, which I know that's got to be hard because not enough people knew who David Browse was. They always uh, heard the voice, James Earl Jones, and he was the voice. David Browse was the physical embodiment of Darth Vader. He was the tall guy towered over them. You needed somebody with that physical presence. 
I'll, you know, for me, Star Wars has always been something very near and dear to my heart. Um, Empire Strikes Back, I love that film. Just absolutely love that film. And he is awesome in that. To me, that's Darth Vader's film. Uh, A New Hope, he's in it, but he's kind of a subordinate. He's kind of like the commander to the general. The colonel to the general. I don't know. I don't know the military positions, but he's always been special. I mean, when you think about it, Star Wars would not be what it is if it wasn't for Darth Vader. And it's very cold outside, so uh, that's the heat coming on. (laughs) And I'm still cold, even with the heat coming on. But yes, I just wanted to say some few things about David Prowse because I've always. I mean, Clockwork Orange, I love, you know, whenever I would watch that with somebody, I said, that's Darth Vader, you know. <laughs> so, that's sad, but he will be remembered. And I think now um, more people will know that he was Darth Vader. So, David Prowse, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for crafting one of the greatest villains and story arcs we've ever seen in the Star Wars world as well as in film. So I just want to say thank you for your work and you will be missed. Okay, I got a little choked up there. So let's talk about some of the books I read. So I finally finished Transurfing, Vadim Zeeland, and it's a 78-day book. You know, like every day you read a, read a part of it. And um, I learned a lot of things, and it gave me a lot of great insight into just pendulums and how people... I, I, if you've ever read Vadim Zeeland's uh, book, um, Steps 1 through 5, Transurfing, this is kind of like, um, if you've read that book, like a kind of refresher course on it. And it talks about, you know, projecting slides into your head, having your ideas, not letting somebody tell you not to do that because it's never been done before. Not becoming strung, strung up by ideas like, you know, this can't... Um, this can't happen, you know, you'll be hated. To be original, to be true to yourself. So a lot of those rules are in there, and it's a great book. And if you, I would recommend reading Vadim Zeeland's first book, well, I don't know if it's his first book, but Transurfing, Steps 1 through 5. It's on Amazon. I recommend getting it. But this uh, is like the, um, just a refresher after you've read that book. Um, I finished Mirror Work, Louise Hay. I talked about that. Um, That was hard to look in the mirror and tell yourself that I love you. I don't know if a lot of people can do that, but we should, and we should encourage it. And having to look straight into the mirror and say to myself that I love myself was hard. But after a while, it became enlightening became empowering and I felt empowered every day 
And I tried not to forget those things and the things that it taught me. So if you want to book that, um, I had to scratch it. I don't know if that messed up the microphone at all. Okay, apparently, I don't think it did. But this is a great, um, these are two great books. And I recommend reading them. I think they'll help you. They helped me tremendously during this this pandemic, which I feel like we need all the encouragement we can with this situation. So with that, I will bid you adieu, and we will come back with Films and The Mandalorian. Movies. Now, I watched two movies this week. I watched Blinded by the Light and Thor. So let's start with Blinded by the Light. This is a great film. It really is. Um, I mean, there are films that you watch, and then there are films that grab you. And this was a film that grabbed me. And it really touched me on a, I mean, just, it's, it, it's amazing. I mean, this is directed by Gurinder Chada, and she has done Bend It Like Beckham and Pride and Bride, excuse me, Bride. And prejudice, playing off of pride and prejudice. This was, um, I, I really love this movie. I mean, this, this movie just grabbed me. And I felt so, the characters just, you, there are characters that you really want. There are characters you want them to succeed. And this was like, it, it just, the way it opens, you just feel for this, the main character. Now, um, let's talk about a little bit about the acting. Um, it's, um, the actors are Vivika Kalra, Kalvinder Gere, Mira Ganater, Nell Williams, Aaron Fagur, Dean Charles Chapman, and also, I don't know why they didn't put that, Haley Atwell is in it as well. Um, Vivika Kara plays the uh, title character, and this was um, his breakout role. He's done, uh, yeah, he's kind of coming up and done some like miniseries, but he was really good in this film, and you really felt, you really felt for this this character, this Pakistani family of immigrants and it's happening at a time in uh, the 1980s so you know synth pop was all in in Europe it takes place in Europe at a town in uh, Luton England and at this time Margaret Thatcher was kind of decimating the working class and this film came out in 2019 so with all the things that we're experiencing now and seeing these things, it's it's um, it's kind of it, it's kind of interesting that that um, 
that that really uh, it's sad to see what happened with um, what happened with Margaret Thatcher's reign it's very similar to Reagan now this is based off of the memoir uh, Manzoor's 2007 memoir greetings from the Berry place race religion and rock and roll and this really touches on race in a way that you, you don't see in movies there's a point where you know he just gets spit on and they just walk up to him and be like excuse me you need to move because you're Pakistani and you see the the hate that was uh, brewing in England at that time with immigrants um, the music is done by um, A.R. Raman it's uh, really good but the real backdrop of this is Bruce Springsteen's music and they have uh, Dancing in the Dark Badlands, Cover Me, Thunder Road, Hungry Heart, um, Born to Run, The Promised Land, Blinded by the Light, Prove It All Night, The River. Um, and then it's got some uh, 80s music in there. You got Aha in there, Pet Shop Boys. It's kind of um, balance out that. So really good because this whole thing, this whole movie is about some and it, Pakistani uh, family, and the boy, uh, you know, he's doing well in school and everything, but he has like no confidence, and he discovers Bruce Springsteen, and that gives him confidence, and you see him change, you see him get a girlfriend, you see him become, you know, you know, the boy becomes a man type of thing. And he's writing, you know, his father, his Pakistani father wants him to become, you know, you know, a doctor or something like that. You know, he's like, you know, you need to, you need to meet a Jew, meet a Jew, you know. And, and he's kind of discovering that he has a gift for writing. And his father doesn't understand that. He's just kind of like, how's he going to make money with that? And it's all about that. You know, so you've got the racism, you've got the family dynamic, and you've got this boy who's really trying to, you know, grow up. And Bruce Springsteen, like, just really, his music just calls to him and, you know, changes his life as he sees that he is a writer from this. And this is just such a great film. I mean, if you want to talk about the feel-good movie of the year, this is the feel-good movie of the year. And not in a sappy way. This is, it just, it just touches you. I mean, I, I don't know how you can't watch this movie and not like just be at times bawling. I was bawling at times because it was so, it just touched you. You know, they really, they really made you feel like what, um, and it's funny because this came out right around the time of yesterday, which was The Beatles. So you had Bruce Springsteen versus The Beatles. This movie does a much better job of just highlighting those things. You have a boy that's like growing up and he's really touched to the lyrics of Bruce Springsteen and the music. And, you know, they quote a hungry, hungry heart. And, and you see that, you know you know, the rupture with him and his father. He can't really 
it's, he's got to make changes. Uh, all I can say is watch this film. I don't think you cannot like this. Um, also, it was known as Music of My Life. So I guess like um, Pirate Radio, the, bo the boat that rocked, um, they changed the name in, uh, I guess, in the United States to Blinded by the Light. But it's also known as um, Music of My Life, which works as well. Either title works. This is funny, we have to change titles for different countries. But I'm not sure exactly about that, so don't quote me. But this is a great film. And I'm very happy I saw it. And I'm glad I got to see it right before it went off uh, HBO Max. And I recommend you see it. Great, great film. And it's a film I will revisit. Moving on. Wow, I was already eight minutes in that. Um, so then I watched uh, Thor. We did a little Disney party or a group watch. Fortunately, with the group watch, can't really communicate with each other. It'd be cool if we like had little screens and we could all talk to each other. But we got to watch it together. And um, I've always I like Thor, but. Looking at it now, I kind of have different views on it. I, Kenneth, this is... Um, so, yeah, let me um, run through it. This is directed by Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh, one of the great Shakespearean actors. His time, did Henry V, Hamlet. He's a great actor, great director. He was great in Tenet. Good stuff here. Um, the acting, this is Chris Hemsworth. He plays the title role of Thor. <laughs> Like you don't know that. Natalie Portman is in this. Tom Hiddleston, Stellan Skarsgård, Ray Stevenson, Idris, Adel Idris Elba, Kat Dennings, Rene Russo, and the great Anthony Hopkins. And the soundtrack is done by Patrick Doyle. And it really conveys the power of Thor. And you just you feel it. It's the power of Thor. Um... This film doesn't hold up as much as I'd like it to hold up. Um, my friend hates it because of the Dutch uh, camera angles. He's like, it's Dutch camera. So I would joke with him every time we saw a Dutch camera angle. We'd be like, Dutch walking, Dutch this, Dutch that. <laughs> um, it, it's good. I like the contrast between um, Asgard and Earth. You know, it's, it's funny. He films him on Earth uh Thor with like this golden look so he's got this gold look like a god that really works these golden colors as it reflects back to you know Asgard and you see you know that's the whole story of the boy being sent away to become a man and he has to go away and come back and become a man it's um I, I like it, but it's, after you've seen it so many times, I mean, it just doesn't, um, um, Tom Hiddleston plays Loki in this, and he's really the, he, like, this is his movie in some ways, because it just shows his arc. We see Loki come from the brother to the jealous brother to the brother who 
is willing to commit genocide, to, to kill people for it. We see him become a villain. And we see Thor start off as a brat and then become a hero as he's willing to sacrifice himself for someone else, which is the opposite of Loki. So I, so I, I like that. Um, the music is great. Um, the only problem I have with Thor is at this time, you know, he's got this golden beard and it makes him kind of look like the bearded lady <laughs> um, at a, you know, circus. So I can always find that kind of funny looking at him back. He kind of looks strange. He really does look like a fish out of water. And you get that fish out of water humor as part where, you know, I don't know. Does, is this really spoilers? <laughs> this movie's been out since 2011. I don't know. I guess it's spoilers. All right, so spoilers. Okay. And the scene where he, uh, the pet, you know, goes into a pet shop and he's like, I need a horse. And then he's like, um, we only have dogs, cats, birds. And he's like, well, give me one of those large enough to ride. <laughs> so he got that fish out of water humor. Yeah, it's a part where he's like drinking coffee and he, after finishing it, he slams it on the grass. He's like, another, you know, this Viking coming to earth. Um, one of my favorite scenes is when he comes, he finally, he's going to get the hammer and he can't lift it. And you see like a part of him die as he realizes that he is no longer he once was and they, when he falls down and he just is like almost in tears it's like he's it's like he's broken his leg and he can't and he can't heal it and he can't get back and then he comes back the Loki comes to him and tells him that his father's dead and that he's forbidden him and you see you see the humanity in Thor and he's just distraught. And then the most pivotal point for Thor is he comes down there and he says, no matter what I have done to harm you, brother, these taking, taking revenge on these people will do you no, no good. And then he says, take mine. And he thinks his brother is going to, you know, let him go. And then he hits him. And we see that he's willing to kill his brother. But that act. And then she comes down and she says, you know, it's okay. He says, it's okay. You're safe now. And then he becomes Thor. And what a redemption storyline for him. And we finally see him back. We see him back in the garb. And he has earned that right to be Thor. And then he faces off with his brother. And his brother has become so bitter and enraged and ready to just inflict pain on anyone to prove that he's the worthy son. And we have the two brothers fighting. And it's not a great battle, but the two, the two the contrasts are, couldn't be any more distinct. And then the Rainbow Bridge is destroyed and he, you know, Odin is 
catching him and Loki's like, I can do it, Father. I can do it for you. And Odin says, no, Loki. And Loki feels he's lost completely and he lets go into the, the abyss as Thor screams out, no, as he's lost his brother. And we know that Loki is completely lost and he falls into the abyss. And we see that, and it ends on this bitter, on this down note, but with, but but with a moment of hope, because Jane is trying to find him, and you have Sith, Lady Sith, say to him, he mourns his brother, and he misses her, and Odin realizes he will be a great king. A lot of powerful stuff there. So, even though the Dutch angles and stuff, but I like those things. So that's Thor. And um, let's talk a little bit about the Mandalorian. So, spoilers. <laughs> let's just keep the spoilers on. Okay, here we go. Mandalorian, Episode 5, Chapter 13, The Jedi. And we have the return, we have, um, I got to get all the names right. So many damn names in this uh, thing. Excuse me. Uh, Yeah, there we go. Episode 13. So we have Ashoka Tano. And the big reveal in this episode. Spoilers. Run away if you are still listening. I'm saying spoilers again, because this is a big one. We find out Yoda's name, and his name is Grogu. And at this point, you know, so once again, you know, the Mandalorian has got to save a town again. But this time, it's different, because he's found a Jedi who can train Yoda, excuse me, Grogu, the child. And she doesn't want to train him because she says she senses fear and his attachment to the Mandalorian is her. And, he's, and she says she's seen this before. And we know what she's talking about. Darth Vader. Because even though Darth Vader may have redeemed himself, the Jedi are not easily forgotten what he did and how many people he killed. So they're on Cor- uh, Corvus. And this is directed by David Filoni, and it's written by David Filoni. And we have um, uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn is the master here, and she's taken over this whole um, uh, thing. Uh, Bo Cantana, crazy, has uh, Mandalorian tells has sent sent him to Ashuka. So she doesn't want to train Grogu. And it's interesting how she finds Grogu. She just listens to him and feels his force power. And she says that the Mandalorian, to the Mandalorian, and that Grogu has developed a fatherly attachment to you. He sees you as a father figure. And so uh, there's the big battle, and um, Um, Admiral Thrawn is is defeated. 
but Ashuka threatens, says, says to the Mandalorian that she will not, still will not train him. But she knows who can, and so she says to go to the Jedi Temple on Tython and put Grogu there and have him call out to another Jedi through the Force. And if it's meant to be, it'll be meant to be. This was a powerful episode. I really like this episode. Um, we're seeing more and more that after the fall of the Empire and the Rebellion winning, that the galaxy is in disarray and that they really don't know what to do. And we find out that Grogu, um, the child, is from Coruscant. So he probably knows Yoda. And he, so he was at the Jedi Temple and he was, and he was hidden. So a lot of powerful things here. And I don't know, is the last image of this um, season going to be Grogu on that? The Jedi Temple and a Jedi coming to find him? Do we get? Do we get Luke Skywalker? Like, would that be, that would be kind of cool. Is somebody like that going to come and help him? I, I don't know. All I know is this show is great. If you want to watch a good show, watch this. I, I didn't really go into enough of the things. I, I mean, the plot is, is good and all, but the real thing is we find out the child's name. It's Grogu. And we signed um, Ashuka Tano, who's played by Rosario Dawson. Great job. Um, also, Michael Bean plays Lieutenant Lang in this. So I always love my uh, Michael Bean. Morgan, uh, the magistrate, Morgan Elizabeth, is played by Diane Lee Anasatu. And she's kind of holding the whole place captive. And uh, Shuka wants to find uh, you know, the location of the Master Grand Admiral Thrawn. And we don't know if she told him or not. We assume this was good. I, I like that they used um, Ashuka Tanu, who comes from the Star Wars The Clone Wars series, which was one of the best things uh, George Lucas did, one of the last good things he did. And here we have this character now and real life, and looks real. So I really like this episode. I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's good. Go watch it. If you're still listening, go watch it. So that's what I've got to say. And uh, when we come back, I will talk about the cabinet. Biden's cabinet. Now, I told you last week that I would discuss this, and here we are. I'm a little frustrated with some of these people, but there we go. So let's start with Janet Yellen, Secretary of Treasury. She was the uh, chair of the Federal Reserve from 2014 to 2018. She's a top advisor to Bill Clinton, kept interest rates zero until 2015. Um... This is a good pick. Um, I'm not so sure 
we're gonna like her because Wall Street likes her. Um, I don't know. I mean, we're all into this together, so I don't know. If we're but I feel like we need to, you know, curb certain things. But she seems like she's somebody that will be different um, than Mnuchin, the current Treasury Secretary. So I kind of am, um, I'm interested to see what she does. I'm very interested to see what she does. Um, but yeah, we don't know. This is kind of a wait and see, but she probably isn't going to do anything to go after the banks if that's what people are hoping for. This, that's just not going to happen. The next person we have here is Nira Tandon. She is going for the director. She's being nominated for the director of the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, Tandon is the president for the Liberal Center for American Progress Research Group, which, if you look into it, is actually a think tank for um, neoliberals. <laughs> uh, she was director of domestic policy for Barack Obama's presidential campaign and helped craft the Affordable Care Act. Uh, she was also the policy director for Hillary Clinton in 2008. Uh, She's um, a South African, uh, South Asian American, would be the first woman of color to lead the OMB, the agency that oversees the federal budget. Problem is, she's for cutting health care, for, for, um, she's for cutting things like Social Security and entitlements and things like that. And she could be a deficit hawk, so at a time when we need spending, I don't know. I don't know if she's the right person for the job. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of frustrating. She's not a friend to the left. She opposed Bernie Sanders at every turn. I mean, this was somebody Hillary Clinton was going to select in her cabinet. So I don't know. Not exactly there. I like her personally. I've seen her on interviews. She seems like a nice person, but I don't know if she's what we need. So there you have it. Uh, the next person we have is Anthony Blinken, Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State. Uh, Blinken was Deputy, Deputy Secretary of State during the Obama administration. He's very close with Biden. He's a graduate of Harvard University and Columbia Law School. He's 58. He's served in uh, foreign policy positions during the Democratic administrations. Um, he's been included as a member of the National Security Council during the Clinton administration and a deputy national security advisor during the Obama administration. He's also staff director for the Senate Foreign Relations Committee when Biden was chair of the panel and later was then vice president Biden's national security advisor. Problem here is he's somebody who wants to continue a lot of the wars that a lot of us would like to see end. He was for Libya, the attacks on Libya. So I don't know. I don't know about him. Uh, this isn't making me excited, is it? 
the next person we have here is uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, um, Secretary of Homeland Security. Mayorkas is a former Deputy Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, and he will be the first Latino and immigrant nominated to head this agency. He was born in Havana, Cuba. He's 60. Um, he came to the United States as a political refugee with his family when he was a child. Uh, he's, uh, he was a, he's a lawyer. He joined the Obama administration in 2009 as the director of the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services Agency where he implemented the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals DACA program, which granted protection to immigrants brought to the United States illegally as children. That's good. That's all good. Um, one of the problems is uh, he seems to favor the wealthy over the poor. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know. This is another one. I mean, the doc is good, so I don't know. For me, he's a wait and see. Some people want to just tear his head off right now. Next person we have, Linda Thomas Greenfield, United Nations Ambassador. Thomas Greenfield, she's a 35-year veteran of the U.S. Foreign uh, Services. She's served on four continents. She was President Obama's top diplomat, uh, diplomat on Africa from 2013 to 2017. Uh, she's leading, leading the U.S. policy in sub-Saharan uh, Africa during the, West, during the Ebola outbreak. Um, after she left the uh, State Department, she took a senior leadership position at former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright's global strategy company. Uh, Biden plans to, they plan to elevate this position of the UN ambassador to the cabinet level. So I think that one should be good, but once again, we're seeing a bunch more Obama and Clinton people. And I think we need more people. Uh, John Kerry for uh, Special Envoy for Climate. First time we've had this position. This is good. I just don't know if, uh, so let me talk a little bit about Kerry. Kerry is a prominent, longtime figure. You know, he ran in 2004 against uh, Bush. Uh, he didn't, he was not successful. He's a former senator from Massachusetts, but more than 25 years. Uh, the Special Envoy for Climate. This is not a cabinet position, but Kerry will sit on the uh, National Security Council for the first time. The NSC will include an official dedicated to climate change. Um, Kerry tweeted that, you know, America will soon have a government that treats the climate crisis as urgent national security crisis, it, crisis as national security threat it is. His problem with Kerry that a lot of people have with him is he's got a bunch of, a bunch of long-winded words, not a lot of action. So I don't know. We'll see. I hope this. I hope he does well. I don't know, but his record doesn't really uh, inspire a lot of confidence. So then we have Avril Haines, Director of National Intelligence. Once again, another Obama person. Haynes is a former deputy director of the CIA and a former deputy national security advisor in the Obama administration. She'll be the first woman nominated to lead the U.S. intelligence community. Uh, she's 51. She's a lawyer and has previously worked with Biden while serving on the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations as the deputy chief counsel when Biden was the committee's chairman. After leaving the Obama administration, she had several. She held several posts at Columbia University, which is basically, you know, we'll give you money to be at this position. 
once again, another person who's for continuing wars um, and another Obama person. So I don't know. Not really a lot of help here. And our last person, Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor. Sullivan was um, Biden's National Security Advisor during Obama's reign. He was also Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. He'll be one of the youngest people to serve in that role at 44, uh, according to the uh, Biden transition team. Um, once again, another Obama person, Clinton person. You get away from these people. You're not diversifying the cabinet with just women and and younger people and you know Native Americans. That's not going to help. You need people from all walks of life and different ideas to diversify the cabinet. But it doesn't seem like they're going to do that. I don't I hope Jake Sullivan is good. Um, I heard some good things about him. But once again, it just feels like it's more of the same. And none of these people are people that are going to appease the left, the Bernie Sanders group, which I feel like is what we need is to unite the party. So I don't know. A lot of these people are wait and sees. I hope, I really hope these people turn out well. I don't know. But as I promised you, I would give you my views on these people. And uh, I'll go through, I think there's some more cabinet people, but here's eight of them. And um, I don't know. Makes me nervous. So let's end on a positive note. Here we have. Uh, not a quote from anybody special, but I like this. Difficult roads often lead to beautiful destinations. I repeat, difficult roads often lead to beautiful destinations. There may be a long road to success, but that's usually how we get to the place we want to go to. And let's hope that maybe this is going to be a difficult road with Biden and everything, but maybe this will lead to the promised land. I don't know. But I leave you with that hope. Difficult roads often lead to beautiful destinations. And once again, I've gone another 12 minutes. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for always just being a part of this. I might try to give you my thoughts as I see them. And I hope that's the word I give you. Hope. Let's not leave hope out. Let's remember hope. Hope is how we get through this. Hope is how we get through the pandemic. And hope will lead us to the promised land. Now, that's not a quote from anybody. That's a quote from me. So I want to say thank you for listening. Uh, once again, I can't say that enough. And I will see you next time on the DMF. Thank you.